0: Welcome to another of these 10 Minutes with podcasts that Jonathan and I have been doing since the lockdown began in March. And today I'm delighted to spend 10 or 15 minutes or so with one of England's finest novelists and finest science fiction writers. Those are not mutually exclusive, I guess. M. John Harrison, how are you today, Mike?
1: I'm well, thank you.
0: How are you? I'm doing uh, very well. and uh, you've been uh, out in the country for several years now, and living, I guess, uh, a substantially different life from what it was like in London.
1: Um, it's different geographically, uh, but I, I do most of the same things. I, ah. you know, walk about a lot. I'm near a river, which I was in London, um, a major, yeah. a major river. So uh, it doesn't change that much. I get out, I walk, I climb when I can. Um, but like most of us I sit in a room and
0: behind a, a computer really right which is uh, which is not a terrific change even when plagues are in the land no uh, no well no. what are, you, uh, are are you finding it uh encouraging to to do more reading uh, I, I'm fascinated by how people react to uh to being enforced in isolation and and ma- as you say many writers do this anyway but isn't there a difference between Doing it as a matter of choice and doing it as a matter of public policy.
1: I've got to say, to be perfectly honest with you, that I haven't noticed a great deal of difference. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's not that I'm not social. It's just that I'm not really social. Um, <laughs> so basically, very little has changed for me. Um, it, of course, it's limitation You can't go rock climbing with a partner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In, in the situation we've been in, uh, you know, it's not um, it's not clever to do that. Uh, it's also clever not it's not clever to go rock climbing if you're likely to fall off and you know cause emergency services to have to make trips and to expend energy and spend money that they don't need to do. So. You're right. Um, that's been a nuisance
0: and then, and then possibly delivered to delivered to you uh to a hospital which is its own hazard these days
1: exactly so, uh, so um i mean that was a nuisance mm-hmm. but even when we were limited to like an hour a day's exercise i have woods and a river mm-hmm. and a lot of quite steep hills near me so for me it's kind of normal normal service really
0: well, what are you, what are you reading these days then
1: what i'm reading at the moment uh i decided when you asked me these uh-huh. questions i would make a, a a genuine and truthful cut down through my reading at this very minute so what i'm reading today or and maybe a bit yesterday and maybe a bit tomorrow is uh to start with charles simic's notebooks charles simic the poet the poet yeah uh which i found Fantastic, uh, full of wry, surreal observations, like anybody's notebooks, uh, uh-huh. you know, elements one sentence long, elements a couple of hundred words long, um, but incredibly wry and inc- often incredibly grotesque. Um, he advises today, I read that he advises poets in, in, in less than a sentence, be brief and tell us everything. absolutely fantastic double bind
0: absolutely
1: you know Um, but it's perfect perfect for a writer like me who likes very short forms Mm. uh, and it's perfect for the age of Twitter of course of
0: course Uh, it is but he was writing this before the age of Twitter well indeed and
1: uh, of course most of us I think most writers write in notebooks in exactly that way and always have done you know one Mm. sentence a brief Mm. sentence um, a sentence which um, either is, is very flat and matter-of-fact or you think is clever. You save it mm. in notebook because you think it's clever. Two years later you look at it and you say, what? Why did I bother you? <laughs> um, and then a bit later he's telling a story in 100 words, 200 words, about a woman who he met who collected buttons that she found in the street but only ever black buttons so that some years she only got one. Some years she didn't get any buttons at all. And she kept them in a jar just to look at, which I thought was, if I'd read that while I was writing the early Viriconium material, Uh I would have thought, yes, this is how Viriconium is. This is how Viriconium works. The People dress in black and there's this woman who, you know, Collects buttons. She's probably a seamstress of some sort.
0: Mm -hmm. But
1: anyway, so Simic's Notebooks. Uh Um, And then I just this minute finished uh, Olivia Lang's essay collection called Funny Weather. And this is tragic to me because I've been trying to stretch it out for as as long as I possibly could. I've been reading this book for about three months, one essay every couple of days and now it's gone, uh, and I feel really sad because, you know, Olivia Lang's writing is incredible. Um, She's uh, really, really good, really brilliant on how writers and artists relate to their work. Uh, She's uh, brilliant on loneliness. She's absolutely brilliant on the loneliness of of the artist, Mm particularly. Um, but the thing that struck me today in the, the last essay that I read it, it is a review of an exhibition uh, part of which is a collection of Egyptian objects and part of which is a collection of Egyptian coffins and and what she calls other receptacles of death
0: What um, a wonderful phrase
1: yeah yeah but then she describes it this way. These objects, the coffins that is, these objects attest to a leaky universe. <laughs> a- <laughs> rushing from form to form, a vast migration through space and time. She's uh, an astonishing writer, uh, an astonishing writer. I, I, I did notice that there's no fiction in what I have to tell you today.
0: That's fine. That's fine. And one of the things that I'm fascinated by is finding out how many, uh, I, I think one of the, uh, naive assumptions that younger writers and maybe younger readers make is that, uh, writers more or less in our field are obsessively reading each other. Uh, and that's, that's not the case. I mean, I, I remember talking to, uh, one of the first of these short things we did was with Andy Duncan, who was rereading that ancient autobiography of Lenny Bruce, um, which I'd forgotten even existed. Uh, but it's 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 something that fascinates him. And I think the uh, same thing you're saying with, with, with Charles Simic, people are reading poetry. Some people are reverting to reading comfort food. They're they're, they're going back and looking at, at murder mysteries that they uh, have been following. Do you do any of that sort of thing?
1: Uh, I, I, I wouldn't have thought so until a couple
0: of days ago I was
1: talking to someone about uh, – George Smiley,
0: uh-huh.
1: and John Le Carre, and while we were talking, I had a sudden, almost like a like a knife, a really sharp image of of his first two books, not as spy stories, but as kind of English English detective stories. Uh huh. I'm going to read those, so I in fact did read the first one. Um, and it isn't really an English detective story. You remember it that way, but it, but it's a pure Le Carre kind of yeah. in disguise. So I'll probably read the second one as well, but I'll probably give up then. Um, it's just to remind myself. I mean, they came out so long ago. Uh, right. But um, um, Normally I wouldn't do that, but I did experience while reading it a certain amount of calm, I <laughs> have to say.
0: Yeah, there's something oddly, oddly reassuring about how unstable the world is that he talks about, I guess, because it's in the past. Yes. I'm, I'm not well, sure. Right. Well, the the third thing we want to talk about is um is what you have out now and coming out. And I didn't, uh, I could be wrong, but didn't Olivia Lang write a review of um, The Sunken Land Begins to Rise Again?
1: Yes, it was, indeed, it was, an astonishing review.
0: It was Absolutely. a wonderful, yeah, it was a beautifully written review. And well, um, the and, and and the other thing I was gonna I, I was going to say when what are you reading now is that I I bet a year ago about now or more you were reading Charles Kingsley a lot.
1: Um, <laughs> I think I mean, I obviously I read the Water Babies again. And I read a lot a lot of his essays, a lot well, of his.
0: I was going to say that uh, because I remember studying him, and, and that that collection I forget the collection of lectures or essays it is that has thoughts on a gravel pit is not yeah. widely known.: No. Um, I stumbled
1: over it. I, you know what you do. I mean, once I decided that I would have the theme of water, um, and once I decided that I would saturate that theme, as it were. Mm. Um, with imagery um, I just began to crawl the internet and look for look for the things I needed and obviously uh, Kingsley was one of the subjects that came up of course. Um, yeah. uh, and there it was that, that essay is very easily available uh, and uh, provided a, a, a great title I think um, Nicely misleading, too, because thoughts in a, in, in a gravel pit is really nothing to I do think, with water. Well,
0: <laughs> I, I, I saw the title before I, I knew anything else, and I probably had the same vision that a lot of science fiction readers had, which is some cheap special effect from a 1960s George Powell movie of, of, of mountains rising up out of the sea with water cascading out of them in in, in dramatic fashion. Absolutely. <laughs> Can, can you describe, uh, it's, I know it's difficult because it's, it was difficult for me and I'm in the process of writing a review of that novel now, but how would you describe the novel in a sentence?
1: Not sure I could do it in a sentence, but
0: okay. the, two short,
1: <laughs> the short form is basically it's a novel about two people who are so self-involved each of them is so self-involved that they not only fail to make a relationship but they also fail to see the elephant in the room uh, of a gigantic metaphysical political conspiracy Uh Um, uh, I think that's a condition most liberals in Britain have been in for quite a while
0: I, I, I was going to say there's a sense in which I think one of the characters actually uh, describes his situation as post-Brexit, and that uh, it, it's I, I hate to use cliches like a post-Brexit novel, but the sort of things that Brexit seems to symbolize seem to be all through the novel.
1: They are. I mean, I see Brexit as the end of the Thatcherite project, basically. Right. Um, well, and so the novel makes reference to. Thatcher, all the way through and develops towards a single, quite savage passage in the last chapter, uh, which kind of <clears throat> admits that that's what the book's been. Yeah, about. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, you also have a, a major collection coming out uh, later this summer, which is your selected stories from what? 1969 to more or less the present.
1: Uh, Yeah, this isn't a huge volume, though. Um, If you want a a real overview, uh, you need to get the collected, the old collected, things called Things That Never Happen. Yeah. A lot more stories in it. Uh, What this one does is go further back than Things That Never Happen. It goes back to 1968, 69. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are like two or three maybe four stories from from that period which have never been republished Um, they they were anthologized at the time, they were uh, in a collection of mine at the time Mm -hmm. but they vanished in like 1978 and have never been seen again quite deliberately I might say I did promise myself I would never republish any of those But but now you've decided to well, but on looking at them, I, I mean, I felt I felt some editorial pressure uh, and, and some pressure from readers who who want to see that collection republished. Um, and I thought, well, I'm never going to republish the, the entire collection, but these three stories they don't seem too bad to me, so I'll put them in. Um, and uh, one of them is one of my earliest. Uh, I don't know what you call them, non-plotted, non-linear fictions, uh, just to show that I was doing it already in 1969.
0: I was There's- going to say, uh, because your career really began, well, not not quite at the peak of the new wave, but maybe just past the peak. Uh, and I, I, without having looked at these stories, I've read things that never happened, but uh, I, I wondered if there was that elliptical uh you uh, ballardian use of subtitles and sectioning and, and nonlinear narratives and that sort of thing in your early fiction
1: oh that certainly was um and i, I as i say i think i i put in one example of it um, and then at the end of the book, there are two stories that were written last year which returned to that form to uh-huh. those. um I looked at my early stuff and i i thought well this is actually not Ballardian at all. This is not what he did. And I can't remember if I was thinking that that was what Ballard was doing or whether I had already decided to do something different. But um, actually, they're much more like plotted stuff that has been compressed and delivered in almost the right order. Mm-hmm. Is what Ballard didn't do. Um but um, I've, I've become extremely interested in, in in late style. You get this really great idea, which is you'll go back and, and write the story that would really have got you into New Worlds in 1966.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, the thing you always wanted to be able to write back then, but, but you knew you didn't have the technical chops for at the time. And uh, you think, I wonder if I could do it now or, you know, or even if I could do
0: something better. Um, um, yeah. Uh, 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 most of the stuff that appeared in New Worlds in 65 and 66 and 67 hasn't really survived, though, has it? No, I think it's tra- to be honest,
1: I think it's tragic. There are a lot of. Yeah. T- uh, there were a lot of things that didn't work very well. But there are also a lot of things that worked very well indeed, as well as Ballard. Which have now disappeared, and their authors along with them, which
0: I think is just very sad. That is sad. That's true. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. Well, what a good fiction. Well, we're we're as I knew we would be. We're we're well past the uh, the ten minute mark, but uh, um, again, uh, I want to thank you for being with us. We've been spending ten minutes with M. John Harrison, and thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, thank you.